0: So, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. So, it was over a hundred years ago that a single missionary named Lottie Moon, serving in China, started writing letters back home, here, to challenge the church to give, to send more missionaries there. And then after she died on the field... Uh, These churches actually formalized an offering. This was back in 1918, where they said, we want to take once a year an offering that goes specifically to getting more men and women in the field to spread the gospel among people who've never heard it. And so, uh, almost 100 years later, uh, it's an awesome thought that uh, many churches give throughout the year, but at least one time a year um, that... Forty thousand plus churches come together and say, Hey, we wanna we want to pool our resources to get the gospel to people who've never heard it. And and so this morning in the word, starting here in Romans chapter one, I wanna I wanna show us why we must do this. So why we must not just in churches but in each one of our lives and families, why we must give sacrificially for the spread of the gospel to people who've never heard it. And if I could just take it a step further, not just give sacrificially, but go willingly. Why, we must go. However God leads, no matter what it costs, to get the gospel to people who've never heard it. And I use that word must intentionally based on language that we're about to read, Paul used in Romans chapter 1 verse 14. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to lead up to it. But I want you to hear the, the heart of the Apostle Paul in these verses. And as you do, my prayer is that the heart that's expressed here would be in, instilled in hearts all across this church and this coalition of churches that we have an opportunity to be a part of. Romans chapter 1 verse 1 to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that, my, that, that, we may be, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now listen to verse 14. Paul says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and And to barbarians, both the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So there's so much in this passage. But... Like I mentioned, what I want to focus on specifically is what Paul says there in verse 14, when he says, I am under obligation, both the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So here's Paul saying that he's obligated. Some translations say he's in debt or a debtor. He's obligated to preach the gospel to all peoples. He's obligated, whether Greeks or barbarians, the wise, the foolish, those who are at Rome. Paul says, I owe them all the gospel. So, get the picture here. Apparently, Paul's ownership of the gospel creates in him an obligation with the gospel. Because he owns the gospel, he owes the gospel. He can't keep this to himself. He must. So that's why I'm using the word must. Why must we give sacrificially? Why must we go willingly to get the gospel? People have never heard it. We must do it. Because ownership of the gospel creates obligation with the gospel. Saved people, this side of heaven, owe the gospel to lost people and peoples this side of hell. It's not an option. We're not talking option this morning. We're talking obligation. And this is an obligation that I, I've prayed in the next few holy moments, God, with His Word, by His Spirit, might, might deepen your conviction of in your heart, right where you are, that this obligation might sink into your mind, your heart, your life, your family, in a deep, fresh way that I pray will bear fruit for his glory among the nations in the days to come. And just prayed in the next few moments, that would be a reality that we would feel in this room in a fresh way, that you would feel right where you are in a fresh way, a sense of obligation to get this gospel to people who never have heard it. And that's why Paul was writing the book of Romans in the first place. He says in Romans 15, there's people in Spain who haven't heard the gospel. Christ has not been named among them. And so I'm writing this book to you at Rome to help you understand why we need to get the gospel to those who are in Spain, because they've never heard. And you say, well, that was Paul's day. Are there really people today in the world, in our day, who have never heard the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are approximately 2 billion people Two billion people spanning about 6,500 people groups, ethnic groups, different ethnicities. Who right now are considered unreached with the gospel. Now, numbers like that can feel distant and even cold. I mean, how do you even process two billion? I don't even know how to think in terms of two billion people. I'm guessing you're the same. So so let me let me invite you just for the next couple of minutes, put yourself in the shoes of just one of these people. So don't don't think two billion unreached, okay, I don't even know what that means. Just think one person unreached. So what does that mean? Or maybe even not, not just one person, maybe a family. So maybe picture you and a, a spouse uh and your kids, or you and your mom or your dad. So just picture one person, one family. So for the next couple minutes, just put yourself in their shoes. So what does it mean to be unreached? Well, practically what it means is that you don't currently have access to the gospel. You don't, you don't have access. You don't have an awareness. You don't have anybody who can tell you what the gospel is. So you might be like some people I've met in the world, and uh, Nepal, not long ago, was hiking in the Himalayas, and uh, it was five days before we met anybody who would even heard of Jesus before we started talking to them. So you go up to people and say, you know about Jesus, who's that? So I haven't heard his name. Or maybe, like some other people in the world, you've heard of Jesus, but you know about Jesus about as much as you know about uh, Confucius. I think he taught on philosophy or some kind of Eastern way of thinking that's kind of out there. But you're really not sure what. And so that's about all you know about Jesus. Because you don't know any Christian. You don't know anybody else who knows the truth about Christ. In fact, you've never met anybody. There's nobody in your relationships who knows the truth about Christ. So to I me, mean, you don't have access to the gospel. And that's key because... Some people sometimes say, well, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world when there's unreached people in my office where I work. And we don't say that because that's just not true. The people in your office are not unreached. You say, how do you know? Because you work with them. You're their access. They know Christians. You. You. You know the truth about Christ and you work in the cubicle or the office next to them. And so they have access. We're talking about people who don't have access, who don't know a Christian. We're talking about people who can't drive by a church where they can hear the truth about Christ. They don't have access to the gospel. So if you're in your shoe, in their shoes, you don't have access to the gospel. Now keep going. Unless something changes, then you will be born, live, and die without ever even hearing the gospel. So feel this. So stand in their shoes for a minute. We're talking about practically people. who, If they die today. So if you were to die today in their shoes. That means you would been born. You would live. And now you would die. Without ever even hearing the gospel. The good news of what God has done in Christ. To save you from your sins. Now That leads to the inevitable question, right? What happens then when you die? What happens when you die? If you've never heard the gospel and you die, do you go to hell forever? Do you spend all of eternity in hell when you never even heard that you could go to heaven? How you go to heaven? You didn 't reject the gospel, you never even had an opportunity to hear the Gospel. did so you really go to hell forever, so put yourself in their shoes and, and this is the question that paul's answering all throughout the book of Romans and here 's the answer he gives so one, if you 're unreached, what does that mean biblically? Well, it means first you have knowledge of God so This is what Paul says right after the verses we read in Romans 1 1 through 17. In verse 18, he starts talking about the wrath of God and he says, What can be known about God is plain to all people because God has made it plain to them. In verse 19, he says, Verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible powers, his eternal, invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made, so that men are without excuse. And he says in verse 21, Father, they knew God. So the picture here is God has revealed his character, his glory to all people in all creation. So all 7 billion people on the planet have knowledge of God. Every one of us has the so that we're without excuse. Every one of us and every person in the world has knowledge of God. So if you're unreached, you have knowledge of God. He's made his character known to you. In creation around you, my uh, my kids and I will we, we'll, will read through different books together and family worship and at different times. And recently, we were reading uh, a book called *Keeping Holiday*, which is a Pilgrim's Progress type allegory about. Uh, Coming to faith in God. The kids just really got into it. A story about a little boy named Dylan and his cousin Claire. And they're on a journey uh, to find the founder of a place called Holiday. In the allegory, the founder represents God. And so in our reading one night not long ago, uh, Dylan and Claire were having a conversation with the stars. And the kids were just really getting into it. And so this is how that conversation went. The book said, although the star's voice sounded as though it came from far, far away, it spoke distinctly. We have one purpose, the star said slowly and with great gravity, one grand, glorious purpose, and nothing will ever deter us from doing what we were designed to do. We have done it for centuries, for millennia, yet we never finish and we never tire. We've occupied these same places in the sky, night after night, day after day, always doing the same work. We know no change, yet we never grow weary. We feel only delight in the most solemn, most joyful task we have received. So what is that task, Dylan asked the boy. And the star said, we announce to everyone that the founder, the star paused and Dylan's heart beat faster. The star's voice grew even more solemn and at the same time a tremor of joy ran through it. We announce that the founder is... We announce to every person on earth, for where is the place where stars are never seen? To them all, we announce that the founder is, and that he's marvelous. He does remarkable things, amazing things. Look at us, the stars, and know that the founder is altogether wonderful. Nothing, no one is so excellent as he. And it is at that point that my kids got a sermon on Romans chapter 1. Because that's not just allegory, but this is Bible, right? That's truth right there. This is Isaiah 40, 25 and 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Let's look at the starry host. Our God brings every star out one by one and calls them each by name. Right? His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I mean, think about billions of stars in the galaxy, billions and billions of stars. And our God brings them out one by one and calls them each by name. (laughs) Bob. (laughs) Mary over there and Z14369. I don't know what their names are, but our God knows what their names are. And He's revealed His glory, His character in the stars and in countless other ways in creation. So if you're unreached, you have knowledge of God. But second... You have rejected God and the knowledge of God that he has given. You've rejected. That's what Paul says in Romans one twenty-one. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It goes on to talk about how this is the sinful nature of all men everywhere, including us in this room and all people on the planet. We all turn aside from God and worship other things instead of God. Whether ourselves or other things we, we worship. And, and this looks different in different places. So if you're unreached, maybe you're unreached in West Africa. And so you practice voodoo and your attempts to appease and direct evil spirits around you. Or maybe you're unreached in India and you offer incense every day to gods that you've crafted with your own hands. Maybe you're in Saudi Arabia where five times a day You bow down and recite rote prayers to a false god. Maybe you're in the mountains of Nepal where you worship the Buddha. And you've actually offered your first son. Given him over to the monastery. So that maybe one day he'll attain Buddhahood. Maybe you're in China or North Korea. And you've rejected the idea of God altogether. You hardly even have a concept of God. So this looks different for different people in different places. But if you're unreached, you have knowledge of God, and you have rejected the knowledge you have about God. What He has revealed about Himself, you have rejected. And as a result, Romans is clear. Third then, you have knowledge of God, you rejected God, and as a result, you stand condemned before God. This is the whole argument that... Paul builds from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. The summation in chapter 3, verse 9 through 20 is humbling. Paul says there's no one righteous in the world, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. He gets down to verse 19. He says the whole world is silenced and held accountable before God in sin. Condemned in our sin. Romans 6, 23, what does it say later? The Wages of sin or the payment for sin is what? Is death. All people, because we have sinned against God, stand condemned before God, deserving of death. Guilty in our sin before a holy God. And this is so important. Because this is why some people sometimes ask me. Or you'll hear the question. Maybe you've even asked it. Well, Well, what happens to the innocent guy in Africa, the innocent woman in Asia who never hears the gospel? Do they go to heaven when they die? And if you were to ask me that question, what happens to the innocent guy in Africa, the innocent woman in Asia who who dies without ever hearing the gospel, I would say that person without question, without hesitation, that person goes to heaven, even though they've never heard the gospel. That person dies, never heard the gospel, they go immediately to heaven. Now, before you think the president of the IMB just committed total heresy, um, follow with me here. Hear the question. What happens to the innocent guy in Africa, the innocent guy in Asia? Well, of course they'd go to heaven, even though they never heard the gospel. They're innocent. There's no sin they need to be forgiven of. People are innocent. They don't need to hear. The good news is they can be saved from sin. They're innocent. They go to heaven immediately. The problem is there's no innocent guy in Africa. There's no innocent woman in Asia. That person doesn't exist there are no innocent people in the world just waiting to hear the gospel. There's guilty people all over the world. That's why they need to hear the gospel. Sometimes we bias the question from the start toward us and away from God as if the default is heaven for all of us. The default is not heaven for anybody in the world. The default is hell. We stand condemned before God. Payment for sin is death. Stand condemned before God because we've rejected God. That's what it means to be human and what it means to be unreached and again this is so important because there's others who will think and i know i feel the emotional pull here who will think well if if somebody never hears the gospel surely god will let them into heaven i mean they never even had a chance to hear surely god makes it possible for them to go to heaven which when we feel them there's two billion people we're talking about who are in these shoes But as soon as we say, so follow this, as soon as we say, well, because they haven't heard the gospel, that means they'll definitely go to heaven, then what's the worst thing we could do? Share the gospel with them, right? Thanks a lot, IMB. Christians for giving sacrificially and going willingly to get the gospel to us. Before you did that, we were going to heaven. Now that you got here, we might go to hell. <laughs> and this is the whole point, right? The entire New Testament. The whole missionary enterprise of the church and the essence of the gospel. So feel the weight of this then. To be unreached. That one person. You have knowledge of God. You've rejected God. You stand condemned before God. And to be unreached means you've never heard the good news of how you can be saved by God. Nobody's ever told you that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for your sins. You've never heard Romans three, twenty one through twenty six. That a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to anyone who believes. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God has presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. What that means is God has poured out the wrath of God sinners upon his son in our place so that simply through faith in him not working for him like every other religion in the world prescribes but through faith in Christ you can be forgiven of all your sins and reconciled to God forever. That is good news. That's the greatest news in all the world. It's great news this place in this moment. God has brought some of you to this moment to hear this good news. God loves you. He loves you. He's made it possible for you to be forgiven of all your sins through Christ's death on a cross in your place. And you right now can turn from your sin, put your faith in Him, trust in Christ, and be forgiven of all your sin and reconciled to God forever. It's great news. But in the words of Carl F.H. Henry, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. And so, if you're unreached, feel this. just Get the picture. Put yourself in their shoes. You've got knowledge of God. You've rejected God. You stand condemned before God. You're guilty in sin. And nobody's ever told you How you can be saved from that condemnation and death that you are due. So that's their shoes. Now step out for a second. And let's just praise God we're not in those shoes. Aren't you thankful you've heard this gospel? Aren't you thankful you've heard the good news of what God has done in Christ? How much he loves you you're not in the dark on this? You've heard this because somebody told you this. And somebody who owned this gospel felt an obligation to share it with you. Praise God, somebody took ownership of the gospel and connected it to obligation with the gospel. So that you can hear it. And all those who believe can be not just accepted by God, God the judge, but adopted by God the Father, you're his child. So then, for all who have heard and all who have believed. So we're in our shoes now, having stepped out of their shoes. Is there any obligation on us? Absolutely there is. We must think about why why then? Why must we? Why can't we just continue on with our lives? Business as usual. Coast this thing out in comfortable Christian culture here. Turn a deaf ear, blind eye to people who have never heard. Why can't we do that? Why must we give sacrificially? I'm talking New Testament type. I'm talking selling houses and lands and possessions. I'm talking willingly going wherever God leads. Why must we do that? Here's four reasons based on all we've seen. One, because there's two billion people whose knowledge of God at this moment is only sufficient to damn them to hell forever. Do you you feel the weight of this just for a minute? We're talking about two billion individuals like that who at this moment, right now, they have knowledge of God that's sufficient to show them they rejected God and stand condemned before God and Nobody's told him anything else. Their knowledge is only sufficient to damn them to hell forever. I mentioned to Paul, uh, it's one thing even just to walk through those villages and meet people who've never heard the name of Jesus. But then to come back down in this city, into Kathmandu, and we're walking the city. Nobody prepared me for this. As we rounded the corner and uh, came upon this this site called Pashpati, it's this Hindu holy river. And... uh, And the custom is, when a friend or family member dies, they, within 24 hours, bring the body to this river, and there's funeral pyres set up across the river, on top of the river. And so they bring the body of their friend or family member, they put it on the funeral pyre, and they set the body ablaze. And then as the body burns and the ashes go down in the river, they believe this is helpful in the process of reincarnation. So we're just walking to the city, and around the corner, and I see this scene in front of me, and I'm just stopped in stunned silence. Just picture it. I find myself face to face with burning bodies on funeral pyres, family members and friends just wailing around these burn, and I'm watching these bodies burn, and I realize. I'm looking at a physical picture of a spiritual reality that's going on right now. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at bodies of people. I mean, they were alive 24 hours before. Now, they're dead. And these people, they're, right now, I'm standing there. They're burning in hell. And they're going to be there forever. 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 And then, as if that's not enough, then it it's me that most, if not all these people who 24 hours before were alive, most, if not all these people who were burning in hell died, and when they died... They'd never even heard how they could go to heaven instead. Nobody ever even told them how much God loves them and desires to save them from where they are. They're in hell and nobody told them how they could not be there. Like, what is it going to take for the concept of unreached peoples to become totally intolerable to us in the church? Like, brothers and sisters, this is not acceptable, is it? It's just not possible to sit back and just kind of coast through cultural Christianity and just, like, we, just, we can't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to that reality. There's more bodies right now on funeral pyres in Nepal. And they're going to be there tomorrow. They're going to be there the next day. Unless something changes, more people born, live, die, never even hearing the gospel. And God wake us up to this reality. And there's just one reason why we must go. If that's not convincing enough, then second, not just because their knowledge of God is only sufficient to damn them to hell, but second, we must go because the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for heaven. This gospel has power to save. So Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This gospel has power to save when we... When we share it, people are going to believe it. I think of uh, near Nepal, northern India, just unreached place, unreached village this slum walking into it and coming into this one room where this mom and her family were gathered together, this one shack house, one, one room shack kind of house, and we are sitting in there and just looking at Hindu gods all around the room, just representing generations, literally centuries of worship of Hundreds of millions of false gods. And so we're sitting in the room, and I have the opportunity to tell this woman I say, uh, I, I bring you good news that there's actually only one true God. And this one true God, who's God over all gods, he loves you. He loves you. And he's not giving you a prescription of things you have to do or burn or this or that. He he's made a way for you to know him and enjoy him, and not just now, but to know him and enjoy him forever. And he, he made this way by coming to us. And I begin to tell him about who Christ is and what Christ has done and I share the gospel. And this woman says, I believe in this God. And I want to trust in him alone. And in, in a, In what seemed like a split second, generations of Hinduism just left behind. She turns and puts her faith in Christ. This gospel is good. It has power to save. And I'm not saying it's that easy anywhere, everywhere you go in the world, even here. But I am saying this. There's not a person or a people group on this planet that is beyond the power of our God to save. When we share this gospel, people will believe and they will be saved. And if that's true, if we actually believe that, then we can't sit back and keep this to ourselves. It's just not possible. We must give and go. Because the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for heaven. If you're still not convinced... The third reason why you must give, sacrificially go willingly is because the plan of God warrants the sacrifices of his people. And this is the plan of God. You get to later to Romans chapter 10. Paul, Paul says, how will they believe without hearing the gospel? They can't believe in what they don't hear. And how are they going to hear without someone preaching to them? This is how they're going to hear. How are people going to hear? People start thinking, two billion people in the world. Well, why doesn't, I mean, couldn't God make the gospel known in some other way? Uh, by by dreams or visions. And God works in dreams and visions. We see that in Scripture. We see that in, in the world today. But you won't see one verse in the book of Acts where the gospel is moving forward apart from a human instrument. Even when you do have dream, vision, like Peter and Cornelius, it's Peter. It's God raising up Peter to go and take the gospel to Cornelius. People start thinking, well, surely there's some other way, and couldn't God make the gospel known to them some other way? Well, surely God could. God could write the Roman road in the sky if he wanted to. And that seemed like it'd be a good use of the stars. I am God and I love you. Just write that. Look up tomorrow night for more. And God could do that. He has the power to do that. Why is he not doing that? Because God has chosen to use you. And me. Us. To make this gospel known to them. Oh God, for the day when we stop seeing global mission in the church as a compartmentalized program in the church for a select few people who are called to that. God, for the day when we see global mission as the purpose for which we have breath on the planet. You have breath for the spread of the glory of God among the nations of the earth. That's why we're here. That's why we're here to spread His gospel and His glory to all peoples. The Spirit wants the world for Christ. Is the Spirit in you? And you want the world for Christ. God has not saved anyone in His church to sideline them in His mission. God has not saved you to sideline you. There's no spectators in the greatest mission on the planet. So we must, so the plan, we must, warrants the sacrifice of his evil. Sacrifice is the white word, to sacrificially give. You think about, especially us, especially us in this culture, and all that we've been given, we're some of the wealthiest people to ever walk planet earth. Do we realize that? I know we don't always feel wealthy. Because we're always looking at people who are wealthier than us. They're wealthy. When 90% of the world and and, and world history looks at wealthy, they see our faces. We've been given so much. Do we need to feel bad for that? No, we don't need to feel bad. We're blessed in that way. So the question is, why have we been blessed in this way? And what if God has given us wealth not so that we can get more stuff in this world? What if God has given us wealth for the spread of His worship in this world? What if God has given us so much not so we can we can build up more more possessions and pleasures in this world? No, it's, this world is not our home. It's not our home. This is not our home. Let's stop living like this is our home. It's not our home. Stop storing up treasures where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It's all going to burn up. What's going to matter is the home we're living for. And we want as many people as possible to be around the throne on that day, giving our king the glory he's due, enjoying his presence and his pleasure forever. God has given us wealth for the spread of his worship. When, think about it. What if God really does want His gospel, His glory, going to all peoples? Might He give His people unprecedented wealth in the history of the world to make that a reality? It's exactly what He's done. Let's not squander it. Let's give sacrificially, not just extra year. There. Let's give sacrificially, let's give sacrificially, and go willingly. Let's let's see all of our lives before this God as a blank check. No strings attached. Lord, do you want me? Do you want my family to go short term? Maybe a little bit longer than that. Maybe long term, spend my life. Blank check. I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever. Whenever. Would you say that? Have you said that to God? Would you say that to God? And I know even the thought of that. Brings fear in many people. I, well, if I say no strings attached, I'll go wherever. And what if God calls me to Syria or Somalia? This is where I just want to remind you that if there is any fear whatsoever, from students to semi retired, retired brothers and sisters and everywhere in between, if there is any fear whatsoever in giving God a blank check, I just want to remind you who you're giving the blank check to. If you can trust God to save you from eternal damnation, surely you can trust God to lead you for a few years on this earth. Not just to lead you, but to satisfy you every step of the way. When you think about it, when you realize who you're giving it to, you realize the most foolish thing we could do in our lives is to put conditions on our obedience to God. It's utter foolishness, yet it passes for Christianity all across the church and our culture. That's why giving God a blank to sounds like radical. This is not radical Christianity. This is biblical Christianity to say, my life is yours, however you want to spend me, for your namesake sake, among the peoples. This is, what, this is the essence of what it means to follow Christ. So would you say that to God in your life, in your family? God, we'll go wherever, whatever you want us to do, we'll go. Short term and long term, however you want us to go. We'll give whatever you want us to give. And what happens when that kind of spirit is at least across the church? Now look in Christian history, the Moravians, Moravians, one out of 92 of them were crossing cultures for the spread of the gospel. One out of 92. I read about that. I, and it's not because they had great mission boards. It's because they had a mission mindset. It's because they believed that God would give them jobs and education and skills and opportunity and all those things could be leveraged around the world for the spread of the gospel. And so they would look for jobs instead of where they lived. They look for jobs among people where they'd never heard the gospel and they'd go get their jobs there. So what if missions is not even just about leaving a job in order to go overseas? What is about leveraging a job to go somewhere in the world where people haven't heard the gospel? Hey, I can do engineering or I can teach or I could do medicine here or I could do it among people who've never heard the gospel. So default would be God wants his glory among all people, so maybe I need to go there. We start thinking through that. And one out of every ninety two of them. That was happening just in Southern Baptist churches. Forty thousand plus churches, they say about sixteen million members. I don't know if that's totally accurate. Let's just say we could find 10 million of those people. I'll make it easier on the math. One out of every 92. That'd be over 100,000 missionaries. But we're not even thinking in those terms. We're thinking just a couple of people here are called to that. We've got to start thinking in totally different terms. Our God is pursuing the peoples of the world for the praise of his name. He wants them all to know he loves them. He's given us this gospel with an obligation to get the gospel to them. Wouldn't it make sense that scores more of us? He's leading us, leading to go. Scores more. And those that aren't going are saying, okay, how can I... How can I live as simply as possible to be able to support a whole salary of somebody else to go? I'm talking sacrificial giving, talking willing going, because we want the gospel and the glory of our God, known among people who've never heard it. Which is the ultimate reason why we must go. As if their knowledge of God, damning in the hell gospel of God, powerful enough to save them for heaven, plan of God, warning our sacrifices is not sufficient. We go, we must go, because we believe that the Son of God deserves the praises of all the peoples of the world. Jesus is worthy of the worship of so many more people. He's worthy. All hail, Redeemer, hail. He's worthy of so much more worship. And so we go, because we know He's worthy. I think about my life. I was born into a family where I've heard the gospel practically since the day I was born. And so I ask myself all the time, why was I born where I was born? I had nothing to do with where I was born. Why was I not born in the mountains of Nepal? Why was I not uh, sacrificed to the monastery there doing what these little boys uh, played soccer with were doing with their lives? Why, why? Why not me? And I do not have an answer to that question. Why were you born in a place where you have heard the gospel? I don't have an answer to that question. I don't think you have an answer to that question, but I do know this. I was given this gospel for a reason. That I've received mercy for a mission. That I've got grace from God for a goal. And that goal is the glory of God among the peoples of the earth. And this is the purpose of my life. Our lives on the planet. So I challenge you. To give sacrificially. To go willingly. Yes, because we want to. But also Because we must, because this is not an option for us. This is an obligation that the grace of God compels us to say, I must get the gospel to people who've never heard it. Will you pray with me? Oh, God. We praise you for your grace toward us. We praise you that we have been counted among the reached. I pray that the seeds from your word in the last few moments would bear fruit in the world in the days to come. God, I pray that the seeds from your word would bear fruit in sacrificial New Testament, selling, sacrificing possessions and pleasures type giving in the hearts of your people and pray seeds from your word would would compel willing joyful going an army of multitudes more going to get the gospel to people who've never heard it god may it be so in jesus name amen